Welcome to the curiosity of a child. What episode is this? <laughs> I didn't check. Forty-seven. Forty-seven. Let's have a look. Yep. Wow, we are so professional. It is forty-seven. Well done. Oh, I okay. am good. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> let's actually start the episode. Yeah. So we've got an interview this episode with uh, Paul Mays from Avid Games. He talks to us about a mobile game called Q Cards or Cards of the Universe and everything, which we've been playing recently. I discovered it. Um, with an ad on my phone and we love it because it's full of lots of facts and interesting different bits and pieces can you tell us a bit more Anton? Yeah it's basically the game for our podcast it covers um, pretty much everything uh, like the name suggests it's a card game um, and different cards can be put into a deck and those decks battle other decks um and you've got power so you want to get the strongest power and there's there's lots of other things that i would recommend uh installing the game and you can find out yourself yeah that's right um and we actually play one of their um trailers now so you can get a better idea so here we go for as long as he can remember dave's mind has been plagued with profound questions what exactly is hilbert's paradox of the grand hotel which is more powerful, Thor or a supernova? If you owned a quokka, would you trade it for a T-Rex? Well, Dave, today is your lucky day. Because today you'll discover cards, the universe and everything. We call it Q-Cards for short. And it contains almost everything from across our universe. All wrapped up neatly in a multi-award-winning card game. Designed to inspire curiosity in an almost infinite number of subjects before they slug it out against one another in outrageous battles. You'll never know what you come up against. Lancelot, rockets, Capricars, constant Egyptian gods, dinosaurs, mythic beasts, whales, Thor, cats, Rembrandt, the TARDIS, sea otters, and even secret societies. Oh, I say. It's fantastic fun for all ages. There's literally nothing in the universe quite like it. <laughs> Q has fixed you, Dave. Why are you still here? Cards, the universe, and everything. Battle anything against everything. I think that explained it better than we did. Only just. Only just, yeah. Um, but should we go into the interview? Yeah, into the interview. So we are joined by Paul Mays today, and we're very excited to be talking to him. So Paul, could you just introduce yourself, please, and just let us know a little, little bit about you? Sure. So, uh, so I'm Paul Mays. I'm Managing Director of Avid Games, uh, and we uh, have produced many uh, titles over our time uh, since we were founded in 2012. Um, but our latest title is what we put all of our effort and love into, which is Cars of the Universe and Everything, which of course you've just abbreviated to Q cards. Uh, and that, that abbreviation is a necessary abbreviation because cards, the universe and everything is just two characters too long to fit on the app store and the play store. Oh, right? really? Okay. Oh. Well, yeah. I think Q cards still works pretty well though. So uh, rolls off the tongue nicely. We actually discovered the game when, because I'm not a big mobile gamer. I like um, board games and um, like on the console or the PC or something, but I haven't really played mobile games. You do though, don't you, Anton? Mm-hmm. And I saw one of your adverts come up um, in an app. I thought, oh, wow, this sounds great. Kind mm-hmm. of battle anything about anything against anything. 
um, and all the facts and the history and everything in the game, which we'll cover a little bit more as we talk about the into the interview. Um, I thought, oh, I'm going to have to download this. this. Yeah. So I played it, really enjoyed it. And then I told Anton, oh, this is this is like the, the game of our podcast. This is awesome. Um, so we, we actually played each other as well, didn't we, Anton, in the league, which is pretty terrifying. Yeah. I won. <laughs> Excellent. Well done, Anton. That's, how, that's how it should be. Any any self-respecting uh, 12-year-old, you're 12 yeah. years old, right? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, I, I think at that, at that age you should definitely be beating your dad at mobile games. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, to be honest, so first of all, uh, it was really exciting. I hadn't heard about your your podcast uh, prior to you sort of getting in touch, and wow, what a podcast! Oh, the you. range is so much like what we're trying to do, and the sort of the, uh, the the spirit of curiosity. That was you know, curiosity and community were the two kind of um, uh, sort of words that we sort of we put on our initial pitch slide going back mm-hmm. whatever four and a half years um saying that's what we want to be about because because curiosity we we've won education awards and we're slightly embarrassed okay. about winning education because i think education is kind of a teacher pupil thing it's like you're almost sort of telling someone what's what whereas curiosity is kind of all about you know discovering stuff together so uh, which is absolutely what your podcast is about <laughs> so yeah great stuff yeah, yeah, it's the self-discovery, isn't it? Um, with the curiosity as well, and yeah. kind of being driven yourself to yeah. learn and understand or discover new things. Exactly that, and you just and you go wherever your curiosity leads you as well. Whereas education is sort of sit down while we tell you everything about maths. Curiosity <laughs> is like, oh, actually, reading about potatoes has made me want to find out more about you know South America. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. So yeah, you've mentioned education there. So what was the um, like your inspiration for the game and coming up with the idea? Because I, I did a little bit of background research and it looked like there were other trading card games that you did before for different IPs, but this is your own creation this time. Yeah, so we, we came at tra- trading card games uh, from, the, from the trading card angle as opposed to from the games angle. A lot of people make games and then they make a trading card game. Well, we were doing trading cards for, uh, for properties like NFL, and NBA and Discovery Channel and uh, Formula One, Valiant Comics. So we'd been doing trading cards on lots of different topics. And then when we had the opportunity to kind of create our own IP, we thought, okay, you know, what, what about if we if we just brought real world topics to an area that's kind of dominated by sort of fantasy, you know, Hearthstone, Gwent, and so on. Um, and we're like, well, which real world topics? <laughs> And we thought, well, why restrict it? Why not just do everything, you know? And part of that, so that's one part of the inspiration was the fact that we'd already been doing these different trading cards. And the other came from, you know, uh, my son is actually you know, one year older than Anton. And um, and he was sort of seven years old when we were first kind of kicking around the idea. And um, he was hooked on Pokemon, new 800 and whatever Pokemon and new every evolution of them, how much candy needed to evolve and mm-hmm. their regions and their shinies and a load of stuff I don't understand, but I know the words for. And um, and he, I, I just used to think, that is amazing. You've memorized all this. It's completely useless. And I mean, of course it's not useless. You know, it's, it's great yeah, yeah. to have, you know, sort of fantastical imaginative things. But um, we did kind of think, is what if we could harness that ability to just memorize tons of stuff, but actually apply it to, real world stuff you know so that was the other side of the inspiration 
like some of the cards in the game. So one of my favorite ones is the is it Norse mythology, the hell card. So if I'm losing, if I've lost two, I mm-hmm. get plus 55 on all my other cards. And reading the back of that, it's talking about um, hell being the daughter of Loki. And then Odin then um, gave her the ability to uh, control the dead, I think it is. So you've got a theme from the card is also in the game because it's almost like you've been defeated in the game but then you're taking that inspiration into the card itself which is what i really like that interplay and that's not just facts you're actually utilizing some of the real world um sort of meanings in the game yeah that's that's absolutely um what we sort of what we set out to do and sometimes it's sort of easier than others. I mean, you know, like, for example, when we first sort of started doing uh, dinosaurs and we kind of go, all right, the carnivores, they just need to kind of go in with brute strength. You know, they, <laughs> they should decide just, just kill all your opponents. Can't. You know, just really sort of uh, quite, quite basic abilities. That was a sort of a, a deliberate decision. But we've, we've evolved it. Some, are, some get intensely kind of complex. We're, um, I don't know if you've seen the card Rorschach test. So it has oh, three nice. different abilities depending on whether your card has uh, uh, is a bat or a butterfly or I think a dragon. I can't remember which three things it is, but it's basically you know your interpretations of a Rorschach test mm-hmm. are um, dictate the the ability that that you know plays out. So um, yeah, that's very thematic. Um, and then we have some which are not remotely uh, sort of educational in nature. So uh, if you play at tornadoes with uh, with a shark, you get a sharknado ability. Yeah, I like that. Because uh, what? Because why not? Um, uh-huh. <laughs> so we wanted to. We always kind of wanted to, you know, kind of do the thematic, interesting, kind of uh, knowledge based stuff, and also a bunch of silly stuff as well. Yeah. The, the hail Caesar combo is another favorite. So we have a uh, if you play Hail and uh, Caesar Julius Caesar, you get Hail Caesar, and this picture of a Caesar salad comes up. It's very stupid. So, <laughs> yeah. There's that side to the game. Something we like is the, the humor in there as well. It makes us um, a bit like QI, isn't it, Anton? Mm, I think as well, QI. where it's definitely feel some kind of similar vibes coming from your game. Yeah, yeah, QI is uh, kind of our uh, holy grail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we uh, we we've um, some we've been described as yeah QI the the, the video game so you know, I, I think there's much worse things to be called than that. No, no, that's really good. Um, so in terms of building a game, then um, what what sort of mm-hmm. I mean, how big is your team, and what kind of challenges or what sort of processes do you go through in terms of designing and creating like the structure around it, the rules and uh, different bits and pieces? Yeah, so so um, we're a, a team of twenty now, um, which uh, is the biggest we've been now, and um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of hard work. So we we've we have a policy of hiring when it hurts, you know, because um, you you wait until you really really need to make that hire, and that's mm-hmm. not a cost issue. That's just because each person that you add to the team makes the the team. Uh, sort of exponentially more more complex there's more communication needs to happen there's more interrelationships so it's always a risky thing so you have to put a lot of effort into finding the right person and so you don't want to just kind of you know certain startups almost by necessity have to sort of pile on more and more staff we want to grow as as sort of slowly and safely as possible um so we've got a team of 20 right now 
I've I've worked in the games industry for the about twenty years, and um, what the, the processes that we follow are not typical of the games industry. Okay. Um, I do think that there increasingly there are sort of um, there is less of a typical model um, because games have sort of fractured between console and PC and mobile, and then there's sort of free to play and you know sort of uh, uh, paid games. And they all have sort of um, different requirements. The big thing for us was right from the outset, we we wanted to um, kind of play with the idea of, of how you should design games. And we thought if we are going to cover everything, we have uh, the sort of opportunity to have continually shifting sands so that so that almost every every day, certainly every week, there's a, almost a, a new challenge to get your head around. And, and there's no way that you'll be able to create the perfect deck for any given week before it's time to move on to the next one. But the, the challenge is doing what you can, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a huge uh, onus, live ops, which I think in other companies, live ops kind of run the, the, these are our sales promotions and these are our sort of uh, offers and events. But live ops is, is, uh, in, encapsulates the actual um, creation of cards as well um, within other games, which I think is, is quite unique. So they also, um, they also run the game design aspect, which is usually a sort of a separate discipline. Okay. And game designers sort of sit in a ivory tower thinking great design thoughts and live ops are kind of there sort of running the promos. But mm-hmm. we've, we've smudged those together. I think, yeah, that, that's quite interesting. That um, sounds like you've got quite a close team then in how there's that intermeshing of everybody. Uh, maybe yeah. piece that's inspired by some of the game as well and that it is everything against anything. Um, those yeah. thoughts and ideas all yeah. coming together with the people as well in the team. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, we really, um, something which we've fostered is is the idea that, you know, uh, a good idea for the game um, can come from absolutely anywhere, and and that has absolutely been the case. Everyone on the team has had significant input into different aspects of, of the game, and and also different aspects of our marketing as well. You know, but ideas for ads have come from you know every every corner of the business as well. So, um, and I think that really helps. Um, it helps us all work together. Nothing is is siloed off. We're too small. At 20, twenty staff, you don't want to be developing silos from the outside. Yeah, definitely. Um, but there's a real, yeah, there's a lovely energy in the team. That's good because, because I'm a developer, not not of games, just of uh, web stuff. So I know that maybe it can be quite hard for people to understand uh, the technical issues or technical problems that a development team might be having. So um, particularly if you are really in those silos, it can be if you've got um, what was it the live ops team then they're going to be if they can't understand or appreciate what the development team are doing because there's that separation there you could see that leading to to problems particularly with with, with a game because I, I can't imagine what it is like to build one because if you've got a bug or a change that you need to do making sure that you're rolling it out through um the the app stores and keeping everything in sync and consistent there must be so many kind of technical hurdles there that need to be overcome yes <laughs> yes, <laughs> short answer to that. Yeah, there, there, there really are, and I think we've got a, a, a team. Um, sort of all, kind of, there's a, a lot of uh, collaboration, and mutual support 
it does not stop us getting it very very wrong at times <laughs> and um you know we had a we had a nightmare period last year i think we were about six weeks probably just around late summer where we put one build out and it had a, a couple of really sort of angry bugs you know the kind of, the kind that cause problems for the the mm-hmm. whole player base and so we quickly got out a fix for those but that fix created another couple of bugs and we, it was basically five more releases on and six weeks later that we finally you know had kind of got back to the state that we wanted to be in with the first release so you know we, we don't we don't avoid those technical hitters however well we collaborate it's still you know they still come along and get us yeah that, that's always going to happen it's, it's a nature of the business i think um because yeah it is it, it's complicated. It's complex, and um, it, it yeah. used to be. I mean, you you may on your on your sort of research travels in the past, you may have come across uh, ET, the video game, um, notoriously in the eighties. Uh, the uh, the ET video game was put out, and it was actually impossible to finish. Yeah. And so, you know, millions of these kind of ended up in a legendary sort of uh, landfill somewhere in Mexico. Um, with these cartridges, because you just couldn't, you literally couldn't get to the end. So I'm glad that we are where we are now, where you can put something out and go, ah, that's a bug, you know, we'll fix it next week, as opposed to, um, you know, oh, we've spent we've, we've spent tens of millions of pounds. <laughs> yeah, yes. Exactly. So um, as well as technical issues that you're dealing with, there's going to be like balance issues, because um, what deck have you been playing recently, Anton? Um, Eight Immortals, kind of feels like cheating. Ah, no, <laughs> no, Eight Immortals <laughs> are the bane of my life. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we had, you know, we were so excited about Eight Immortals because the purpose of Eight Immortals, and this is going to be very interesting for anyone who's listening to this podcast and hasn't come across Q, I better give a bit of context. Okay. So um, the Eight Immortals are from a Chinese folklore collection, and these are eight cards that you put into your deck, and they all kind of uh, uh, buff or, or you know, make each other stronger. So by having all eight in your deck, you have a very strong deck. And we introduced these as a way to uh, for uh, um, players who weren't uh, pay to play, so they're not they're not sort of spending money to get sort of uh, access to lots of limited cards early on. But so for a way for them uh, for earlier players to kind of build a very strong deck and i guess we were successful in that <laughs> yes but the problem is is that because it's eight cards and that's nearly half of your deck it's very easy to spot when someone's playing an eight immortals deck because you know half of the cards are the, are the eight immortals and so we've got we've had a lot of complaints about not so much about i'm i'm losing to eight immortals so much as the lack of variety because mm-hmm. so many people started playing eight immortals so first up we you know we we let that run for a couple of months because you have to try and avoid doing knee-jerk reactions and sort of saying oh people are unhappy let's let's you know nerf it but we did in the end have to nerf eight immortals a, a little bit so sorry about that anton i'm sorry <laughs> if you were already playing eight immortals at the time and we sort of took away some of the power. But what we want to do now, and we're looking forward to in, in the next few weeks, you'll see this, uh, we're, we're releasing um, a new set of uh, cards, a new, a new um, a number of new cards, I should say, not a set, that are designed to um, create, uh, to help new players create more viable decks with existing collections, existing basic collections that uh, don't, uh, that aren't already seeing a, a lot of play. Um, we think people will be really excited about that. 
Yeah, that sounds really cool. Um, because I always like to try and do a slightly themed deck because each week um, you have your different themes um, where you get cards having bonus power. So I like to try and build around that if I can because I like to explore the different cards and get an understanding yeah. there. Um, so it sounds like you're catering to that because there's um, was it yeah. over 3,000 cards in the game now, I think, is it? There are, there are, yeah. Um, and, you know, we, we've sort of, people have said, when, when are you going to stop? And there's actually kind of no no reason to. What we don't want to do is get into a it's something that in video games is called power creep, where basically in order to keep kind of getting people look, chasing after the new cards, you just you have to always make them a little bit more powerful than mm. all the cards that went before. We, we got into that trap. Uh, and we kind of realized, hang on, this isn't this isn't really healthy. If we're going to, we do want new cards to be exciting for sure, but the way we're trying to offset that is by having uh, either those new cards or or changing sort of existing cards to make pre-existing cards more powerful. So so we kind of it's trying to sort of lift up um, cards that may have been released sort of three years ago. You know collections that, that have been almost forgotten about sort of bringing them back just with with a sort of a couple of changes to other cards so we're trying to you know in an ideal world all three thousand cards would all be viable in all decks but that's never going to happen right. um, but we, we do what we can yes there's such a lot to balance there um it's, yeah I can't, I can't imagine the the process there was like the eight or more because maybe that was a, a bit too successful um but then just yes yeah so, so many challenges and thinking okay let's bring in some more cards a new theme obviously you want people to pick it up so it's got to look kind of uh interesting to them but yeah keeping all of those old cards viable yeah. like you're saying it's a, it's a big balancing act and and there's also there are uh, there's a balancing act there's a challenge that comes from the way that the way that the world is um, is kind of categorized or broken up itself. You know, we're not going to, um, you know, uh, I think people have sort of said, you know, that Greek mythology has got too many cards in it. Um, well, Greek mythology, first of all, everyone loves Greek mythology, so why not? Um, but also, you know, you're going to sort of struggle to get as many exciting cards for, you know, for a broad player base from you know from some other topics you know so you know riding the waves yes or there are going to be some people who would love to see 60 different uh, different sort of variations and ships mm -hmm. but that's you know not not sort of where most of our sort of player base is so so we have to kind of you know take that sort of thing into account how big is the collection going to be and of course when you first release cards from a collection you might release three cards now if you make those three cards sort of super exciting in themselves then when that collection grows even further they're going to it's going to be overpowered so you, we kind of have to try and sort of plan ahead where are we going with with this collection um and that is really not easy and it's certainly it's not a science i wish i could say <laughs> if we just got out our spreadsheets and typed in some numbers and it all came out it's very much uh, a bit of science a bit of art and quite a bit of play testing as well mm -hmm. yes so with the different collections then do you have a uh, sort of global player community as well so do you have certain countries where maybe you're surprised by how many people are playing it there and is there a an appeal to make collections to suit them or do it's well we we we've set out our stall right 
right at the start, really, we said, look, we we need to acknowledge that there is a there's kind of a oh, sort of a political kind of element. It's hard to to just in the act of choosing, in the act of curating, you know, saying, right, this is about everything, but out of everything, we've chosen to do this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. You know, we realize that that in itself is a um, you know, is almost a political statement. So we said, well, okay, well, who are we as 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 a team? You know, what do we sort of lean towards? And there's a sort of a, a, a general uh, agreement that we are progressively, you know. So instead of just sort of saying we, we were going to launch a sort of an American president's collection really sort of early on, and we're like, well, hang on a minute. We're going to have a lot of stale mail, pale cards. <laughs> you know, is this really what we want to do? Yeah. Um, and we're not, you know, we've got no aversion to to doing U.S. presidents. We didn't want to kind of come straight out the gate with that. So we've got, um, you know, for example, in sort of pioneers of science, we tried to, there, you know, there are historically more uh, male scientists that we've sort of heard about. But we try and make sure that we we find, you know, there's sort of uh, female uh, scientists and scientists from other cultures, other races. So it's not just all. You know, sort of the 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 white scientists that, as English people, we've typically mm-hmm. sort of had had taught taught to us in school. So, so we've tried to kind of broaden our range like that. And partly as a result of that, I think, is that we've we've ended up with this really pretty global appeal. I mean, we have players in. I think we've only got about some ten countries in the in the world who haven't had had cool. a Q player, which is pretty amazing. Um, so yeah, we've been we're, we're proud of that, but at the same time, um, localizing a game is very hard. And with um, enough copy to, well, I think the last last time we did a word count, it was two great expectations worth of copy. Um, so and and that was about six months ago. So it was being probably a war piece by. Um, that's a lot of sort of um, very bespoke language to translate. And then you have to translate the abilities as well. So we've stuck with English for now. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, because we've got a global audience and we're in the English language, we do get quite a few people giving us one-star reviews and saying, why is this not in Brazilian Portuguese or Spanish? And we totally understand those people, but we just, we're 20 people and we haven't figured out a way to localize efficiently yet. Yeah, that, that's um, such a big job if you want to do that. Particularly as um, if you've got, some jokes and things on the cards as well it's not even just a direct translation you'd have to find something applicable for the language it's going into that's it it's not it's not straight facts yeah i think when the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy when that was uh translated into french because you got ford uh prefect as one of the main characters uh the person translating it they made sure they chose a suitably french uh car um to say that it works properly in that language <laughs> yeah, that never that never occurred to me. You're absolutely right. Yeah, because the the joke is, you know, the the the, the car model that that he's, you know, he decided to name himself after. So yeah, it, that so that's the kind of if you take Ford Prefect and multiply it by you know, three and a half thousand cards, um, and then the abilities as well. If we localize all of the abilities on the cards, that's the most dangerous thing as far as I'm concerned, because you get one word in the wrong place and it changes your mm. expectation of how that card will play and then our customer service gets inundated with foreign language complaints <laughs> which yes. we just aren't equipped to handle so there's a lot of kind of you know 
a lot of logistics uh, to be considered when it comes to localizing, which we're just starting to grapple with now. Yeah, I hadn't actually thought of that with when you're explaining logic in a very tight space. You've got to be very, very precise with your language and your wording. It's already been through a couple of reviews in English because, you know, we, we, we used to have um, cards. Um, is it cards in in hand and in play? People, you know, were, were not sure, you know, which whether in hand meant the ones that had already that were actually you know sort of on the playing board or whether it was only the ones that were remaining in hand um and i'm trying to remember what we called the ones which we now say wherever they are um but i think we said the cards that were in your deck yeah so yeah. i remember when i first started yeah. playing and it said um a card can be and it permanently gets plus five or something i thought is that forever but then I realized it's just within the context yes, of yeah. one match. I thought, oh, wow, is my car going to yes. get ruined? <laughs> yeah, with, with that one, we did have the discussion internally. It's like, people are going to think this is forever. And it's like, yeah, they'll figure it out after like one game. So yeah, yeah, it's kind of, <laughs> yeah. we have to make certain compromises there. Yeah. What's the process of uh, making a card from like the idea to stats and then uh, the image and stuff? So... Um, let me see if I can get this in the right order. Alison, who is our head of live ops, she will, uh, she will tell me if I get this wrong. Um, so first of all, there's, there's, the, there's the overall ideation for cards. So coming up with what, what cards should we choose? Because as we've established, there's a lot of everything around. Um, and we actually, so I, I know that people in our community who sort of post in suggestions forums, post ideas on Twitter, or on Facebook, I'm sure they all think that that's where good ideas go to die. But actually, we put all of those into a uh, into a spreadsheet or in, into Airtable, which is like our Excel. And um, so they're, they're stored. And for what it's worth, internally, we have a content suggestions channel in our Slack, which in the evenings and weekends, you know, whenever someone kind of goes, oh, look, I just saw this bird, I'm going to put that in. And so we keep adding suggestions as well, which also don't get picked up a lot of the time. But what happens is um, the live ops team uh, come up with ideas for themes. Um, the themes actually kind of come first. So it's like, well, what, what would be something that would kind of tie a week together, which sounds kind of, you know, cool and fun, and, but also is something to hang off with the card ideas. So, uh, you know, like an eye for an eye or, um, or we've got world in miniature, oh, that's coming up. So um, spoiler alert. Um, so it's, it's, it's kind of coming up with, with, these, <laughs> with these ideas uh, that, um, you know, live ops team know they'll be able to, uh, to come up with, with enough cards that would kind of fit that thing. So then they go away and kind of come up with some the headline cards, you know, which, which cards are going to be sort of really exciting to kind of go in that collection. And then they'll go to the to the sort of air table to kind of look, okay, right, what suggestions have people come up with that would also fit? And so that's how the kind of, then the, we have a schedule um, and, uh, you know, I think we get most excited about things like, um, uh, you know, sort of spotlight packs. So it's kind of, you know, cards which have like four cards, which all kind of relate to each other in some way. Those, those are usually quite fun. And then on special days as well, like Tolkien Day, we kind of come up with, like, okay, what things can we do that will tie into Tolkien? Um, so uh, so the, then you've got a sort of schedule, which everyone's agreed on. Uh, then the, the, the sort of the, the images are sourced 
kind of independently of the abilities. Um, and we will put the schedule out to um, to uh, Wendy, who is our um, sort of lead copywriter, does most of the copy for the cards, probably uh, sort of 70 to 80% of all of our cards are written by Wendy now. We've uh, lots of different people internally have had goes at writing cards at different times. So you know, the, the tone sometimes varies quite a bit. Um, so the copy and the image and the abilities are all being worked on sort of independently. Sometimes the stats are you know, closely related to, okay, right, we need to think about you know, how, how this works with the abilities, you know, how, what is the kind of the, uh, the maximum power that this card is going to generate going to be? Um, how specific is it? How how um, sort of tight is the the sort of the trigger condition? Because if something is if if a card is going to buff one other card on the turn, it's played only, and you need to be you know losing the round for that to happen. You can afford to make that much more powerful. If a card is going to be buffing all of the cards in your deck, regardless of collection, and you and it happens as soon as you draw the card, then you probably want to make that, and it's permanent, then you want to make that a plus one, you know? So so we kind of, we have um, a sort of a set of guidelines. It's literally a couple of pages long, but it's, mm -hmm. it's the guidelines for, you know, sort of how to go about creating abilities. Um, and very often the stats will tie into that. Sometimes, and hopefully you will have spotted this on some cards, sometimes, the the stats we just go for a bit of fun and we make them kind of numerologically appropriate yes, for yeah. the, the card that you're playing so i believe pi is three one four um you know it's that that kind of thing so um i, I don't know if we're entertaining our players with that but we're certainly entertaining our <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> that matters too right uh -huh. um so yeah so i think that that that's pretty much how and then it goes into the probably <laughs> most important process of all qa um, you know, so at, at the point where um, where our, our QA team sort of start playing these cards and check out, have we just made something that's going to break the game because it's ridiculously powerful, or you know, is it just right? Do you have a favorite card or favorite card idea? Um, <laughs> sorry, we recently asked this internally, um, and um, and I. My favorite card. In fact, we actually we we did we we joked about it on April Fool's Day. My favorite card, which is um, uh, the Afghan rice terraces, um, and this is because it was such a ridiculous card to put in in our. You know, we've got everything to go at, and we had rice terraces um, in our first one hundred cards in the game. Okay, which was kind of it was a little nod to some work we had done with Discovery a few years ago, where the Bryce Terraces was also a card. And like, yeah, let's 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 bring that back. Uh -huh. So it's it's not my favorite card, but it it you know it, I, I have sort of uh, uh, an affection for it. Obviously, completely useless and wouldn't put it in a deck <laughs> uh, currently. What watch this space? Um, I uh, I suppose uh, Dugong was. Uh, a, one of my most, in, uh, you know, one of the first facts that I kind of thought that's that's a brilliant fact. Uh, that you know, people people should. It was kind of so um, with the dugong when we kind of when we found this, you know, we read up about it. We were like that's how we're going to differentiate ourselves from from your typical factoid. You know, instead of saying something is you know one and a half meters long and you know it weighs X kilograms, which no one ever cared about ever, unless it's like the biggest, heaviest thing. Mm -hmm. um, 
with the dugong, um, we we found out that it's it's the um, the uh, the inspiration for mermaids because dugongs kind of sit on the shore looking like they've got their their legs sort of crossed and a fin at the end uh-huh. and they have these these kind of breasts basically and so sailors used to think that dugongs were mermaids and that's how the origin of the origin of that myth kind of came about so so i have i have uh, really i have nostalgic sort of um, associations <laughs> with cards you know things that either mean a lot because of the journey we've come on as a company or in dugong things that actually kind of helped us set out our stall for the kind of game we were going to be um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'd love Planet X, but I haven't managed to pull one yet. So. <laughs> and, um, you know, I suppose, especially having run for, uh, for what, three and a half years uh, and nearly getting on for four, um, you know, you, you end up with kind of a lot of, a lot of cards that were favorites at different times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of my favorite things about, uh, the game is trading and also building up your collection to fuse different cards and stuff like that where did that idea come from uh, obviously the trading from previous card games but what about the fusion well you're you're absolutely right the trading um is was kind of like uh, so so avid games is actually the trading name for a company called Bertrade, um which far too many people got confused with like share trading um companies <laughs> so we're like no no we're a games company so that's why we changed it but um but yeah trading was you know the trading part of the game is actually the the most complex but it was built over over years and turned into something really robust and so we thought well we can't can't keep that out of the game um so so yeah so our game has trading in which sounds lovely and nice and innocuous but it is a nightmare <laughs> for us as developers to kind of to balance an economy around because you know anyone who makes uh, you know anyone who makes an account can trade with anyone they can trade with their friends they can theoretically they can just gift all their cards if they you know if they want to sort of move on to do something else like they ever would um and and so economically speaking it's it's you know it's very difficult to manage and there is a reason why almost no other games do this uh so games such as fifa um have you know card trading or what looks like card trading but actually you're putting the card onto a an open market where it finds Mm. its natural value but with us, anyone can trade with anyone they like. And I'm sure the two of you have traded cards between yourselves. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, and you can do that. And you can make a lopsided trade. There's no, you know, you want to be generous one day or not generous. <laughs> Anton, don't give your dad any edges. Yeah. Uh, you know, then, then, then that's up to you. And that is very difficult to manage. And, you know, a, a lot of our time goes into trying to sort of uh, tweak the sort of the, the setup around trading to m- make that work. Um, but one of the things that makes trading great, of course, is when you pull duplicate cards, uh, which even with three and a half thousand cards, people get get to duplicates quite early on. I mean, I just recently restarted the game as a free to play player and I was getting duplicates by day two. <laughs> really? How mm. does that happen? But you always know when you get a duplicate that you can trade it with someone else. But we also know that not everyone likes to trade. There's a sort of almost an element of, oh, I'm interacting with other human beings. This is actually just my me time, you know, or the fear of getting ripped off or whatever it may be. Not everyone trades. So we wanted people to have things that they could do with their duplicates, even if they couldn't trade them. And that was how fusing and crafting came about. Um, fusing was kind of, well, you know, 
we felt initially what we wanted to do was have fusing be sort of all thematically really accurate, but instead we just kind of said, okay, let's let's just nominate the, the four cards that you use to, to collect to make this new one. And then crafting, um, we made crafting so that you can sort of add any sort of set of nine cards and you know you'll you'll get if you've if you've selected your cards wisely you should get a card that is you know sort of a, a level of rarity up from the ones that you you've crafted with but we got really excited with with another thing we could do with crafting and i don't know if you've come across this yet but we every so often we release a craftable card and alongside that we kind of release a kind of a treasure hunt so sort of a set of clues mm -hmm. which are uh, really almost nightmarishly difficult unless you're acting as a community. And so on Reddit and on Discord and on Facebook, you know, players kind of all pile into the crafting and they all share their, their theories as to, you know, what the cards are going to be that are involved. And then once it's solved, it's solved. You know, people post post the answer online and you never have to think about it again. But it's just kind of fun to go through a puzzle with, with the community and, uh, and have them all sort of solve it together. They get a real buzz out of it, as do we. Does that answer your question? I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah, good answer. Just, just, just want to check. Yeah, okay, great. Okay, okay good. <laughs> um, that, that brings me on to another thought with um, to keep players interested in the game. So you do these like these little meta games like the trading and the treasure hunts and everything. Is that also part of your idea that if you have these other uh, features, it encourages people to keep coming back? To be honest, it's more about you can't keep our, you know, the the people we have on our team, are, they're just brilliant. They love they love gaming and they'll just kind of, they'll come up with crazy ideas. So, you know, Emma came up with the last, the last um, uh, sort of crafting set, which was a, set, a series of Instagram posts about breakfast, which, <laughs> which then thematically, so then it was letters of breakfast that gave the clues to the first letters of all the cards that were being used in it. Um, I can't even remember what the actual card was in the end, but it was it was only tangentially related to breakfast. Let's put it that way. Um, and uh, as she kind of came up with that off her own back, and then Toby came up with the um, the uh, brilliant cicada code um, uh, card, which uh, actually only has hexadecimal on the front of the card <laughs> instead of an ability. And players have to kind of figure out, and they can still do that now. You have to figure out sort of how how do I crack this code? And if you can crack the code, if you can figure out how it's done, then you get a, a whole bunch of uh, free coins as well. Oh, nice. um, these were not designed because we were thinking how best to engage our players. They were designed because you just couldn't stop Emma and Toby from coming up with these <laughs> ideas. So that's you know. the best way. Um, and a long, long way that continued. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, actually, the, the community, I've dipped into the Discord. I haven't fully embraced it yet because I haven't had the chance, but I, I've been on there. Yeah. I might have asked what people thought of the Eight Immortals on there just to see if it was just me. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> well, you, um, had to, you had to pick the one question. Where, well, I'm sure you got a lot of support. But, I mean, they, I think they're called the Eight Immos on there. I think they, you know, they, they're kind of, or just Immo decks um, uh -huh. is kind of how, they, how they've been phrased. Um, then, uh, generally speaking, you know, we do we dip into uh, all, all of our communities, but um, uh, Discord is probably the easiest one for us to kind of quickly gauge um, sort of a reaction or whatever. And um, yeah, they're actually the Discord community is insanely friendly. I mean, it's just yes. a really, really supportive community. I was actually 
at a, I was at a careers fair yesterday, um, talking about careers and, and games. And uh, you know, one of the students came up to me and he actually sort of he recently got Q and he he said, you know, have you got any tips for me? I was like, well, if you're not already on the Discord, you know, get on the Discord and just ask for help. You'll be amazed at how mm-hmm. sort of how how supported they are, which is not what I expected. Setting up a sort of an online community, I did expect because uh, I've got experience of this in the past. I expected it to be a lot more trolly than it is. It's actually yeah. a really friendly bunch. Trade chat scary. That's that's you know <laughs> that, that's very hard to follow what's going on in trade chat, but but no, it's a it's a good community. Yeah, um, from what little I have been in the Discord, I need to go more. And you, Anton. Mm. you need to get in the discord it, it's yeah it yeah. seems like a really really good community and because you've got the like the off-topic uh chats as well where it's just people just like yeah because of the nature of the game they're curious interesting people with lots to uh to say i think it's really good yeah and just and you go through card suggestions in there and you think oh wow mm. i think you know the community is very often coming up with you know sort of um, better ideas than than we'd be able to come up because that's of course the idea of i suppose crowdsourcing is you know you get sufficient people you're going to come up with more ideas so yeah it's, it's, a, it's a good community going back to the game for a little bit because it, it's supported by ads which i don't mind and it's, it doesn't feel like play to win either it feels fair and i like the way the leagues work that you don't just fall down and get so demoralized you reach a level and then you stay there um so in terms of that side of the business of the game obviously the ads are important and yeah how does that work was there anything you want to say about that yeah well well um so uh the ads are important but less for what you might think you might think they're a big sort of revenue generator for us they they aren't Mm. Uh, um uh, ads make up less than 10 percent of our revenues uh currently and that but the ads very important for us because of um the friction so as i mentioned we have you can trade with anyone and you um you can you can use the game to find people with the card that you're looking for we really make trading (laughs) very very easy you know if you were Mm. collecting pokemon cards finding someone with the exact card that you're looking for is a very difficult thing to do and the place you will find it is on ebay where they'll charge you money for it but we allow all of that sort of to be done really easily within the app so if everyone could just trade all the time with absolutely zero friction it would um well i don't think we'd be here still Mm -hmm. so we have to kind of have some degree of friction and and ads, you know, people get five five trades with no ads every day with the trade tokens, and then they have to watch ads for further trade tokens. And everyone seems to be happy with that. Um, and it's a similar thing with the rewards after games. You know, you, you watch an ad and you can you can double the the gems that you get from you know post game. And and everyone seems to be happy with that as well. What we've really tried to resist is having ads that you can't avoid. And when I play the game, I I never never watch ads i don't you know no ads ever get sort of just sort of shoved in my face like you're gonna watch this ad um which you get with a lot of games now um we may adjust that in time um but not for for people who kind of if they've been playing for a long while and they're not spending any money in the game then we think it might be reasonable to kind of have the occasional ad which is not but it's a, that's a discussion that we're having mm-hmm. we've been so reluctant to kind of go down that road because i think we're one of the lesser ad supported games out there 
in fact i know we are yeah no that that all makes perfect sense to me because i think there's a tendency online where people expect things to be totally free but then they forget that there is a business behind it and like server costs and hosting (laughs) and everything that you're going to be dealing with and that's all there i mean sometimes we get we you know it's, it's it's hard not to feel a little bit exasperated sometimes when when people write to you and they're angry because they haven't been able to get the card that they want and they have been playing free to play for months and you think this is like you know starbucks just giving you a free coffee every day and then you just one day they say i'm sorry no i'll have to charge for your coffee now and it's like what how dare you you know you would that would be ridiculous you know no, everyone knows you know you have to pay for stuff in in the world we yeah. we really try and and make sure that free to play is an option but um yeah it, it's uh we we are a business and exactly and, you know we're we're a business driven by our love of video games first and foremost but we need to continue going that's in everyone's best interest i think we've got a couple of card ideas <laughs> i'm all ears <laughs> all right i'm getting notepad out because we're in guernsey so we were thinking a, a guernsey theme here Actually, interesting fact. Um, my first pack that I ever opened in the game, I got a Guernsey double from. So that was Guernsey that double. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say we've got a Guernsey cow. <laughs> Excellent. A Guernsey cow. So we've got more Guernsey themed cards. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah, mm-hmm. Guernsey cows actually have probably the best milk of any cow in the world. There we go. So give a milk buff. <laughs> <laughs> Margaret and Neve. Uh, she lived to 110 and I think was the first woman to live through three centuries, three different centuries. That's a great one. Yeah, so she's um, there's some great pictures of her on Wikipedia, actually. Um, so if you can use Creative Commons images. Um, and we've got an episode about her if you need to know more facts as well. <laughs> um, ah, okay, right. Excellent. <laughs> that's, that's brilliant. Yeah, um, I think we may have a theme coming up, uh, which is a sort of, you know, um, uh, long uh, longevity kind of theme coming up nice. um, so you're in the kind of the Methuselah type vein so that would be a, a good addition for that yeah and you were thinking that Margaret and Eve could work with uh, work a little bit like uh, caviar the card um, where it sort of gets more powerful over time to show you I guess the aging yeah that would that would that would make perfect sense yeah and there was, was there, did you have a third card? Yeah, let's do one more, mate. Um, you can pick one, actually. Oh, actually, I, I'd quite like um, Warren Delaroy. He was a local scientist who he uh, founded the Royal Institution of Chemistry and he also designed the first ever apparatus designed specifically for photographing the sun. Oh, wow. Oh, that's an easy, yeah. So, and he also photographed... Um, an eclipse in 1860 and discovered that the corona is part of the sun and not the moon so it worked quite well with an eclipse card or the sun uh, and the moon or something wow. and come by nicely i can see these in details yeah absolutely yeah because we already have yeah those those kind of buffing each other and that's that's always nice i, I really like three-way combos i think they're really they're really fun in the game uh-huh. um when we, but we first did that with the pyramids and uh, trigonometry and the louvre was that oh, yes. first sort of three three-way combo yeah and uh yeah yeah i can see that working those yeah great ideas so so warren de la rue and uh margaret and eve they're, they're both they're both guernsey guernsey locals were they yeah that's right yes yeah excellent 
Thank you. Thank, thanks a lot for those. No problem. I, uh, I, I mean, the, what happens is these these ideas will go into the live ops team and it will make absolutely no difference however much i am angling for it and here is so we have um our uh our lead investor so we had in, investors before i even joined the company um and our lead investor um they have a director called uh nigel who's from sheffield and he um uh, being from Sheffield, you know, like, you know, what what card would you like to get in the game? And he wants to get Henderson's Relish in the game, which I'm not okay, sure if you yeah. come across it, but Henderson's Relish yes. is is effectively it's like Liam Perrin's, but it's you know it's specific to Sheffield. It's made mm-hmm. in Sheffield, and it's actually got kind of a cult following around the world now. Yeah, and we really want to get Henderson's Relish. We have still not found the opportunity for Henderson's Relish to go in, and that's from our lead investor. So I'm just that's just <laughs> a kind of a caveat that. That you know the live ops team, you know, you know they 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 dance to their own tune. But I will absolutely put those three suggestions in. Um, I uh, we get a lot of people still asking for um, asking for a collection about vegetables, which Mm. uh, which uh, the live ops team are resisting furiously, probably because they think vegetables sound kind of boring. But as uh, as you found in your latest podcast about potatoes, you know, vegetables pretty pretty important things right a lot of history that all so. spices might be another option maybe a little bit more interesting yeah. vegetables. yes yeah, yeah. herbs and spices yeah. as a whole yeah so you, you can see how there's a lot of everything still to go isn't there but well, then i'm already thinking of links there so you got the spices so you got global trades so you could have explorers um or people in there or yes. some of the ships you'd have also got um say greek mythology or something where some of the spices would be used or going into the occult cards for magic i mean that, that's what's so fun about the game is all, all these things are linked and because you get the combos and the pairing and and the facts on there that's what yeah makes it so engaging yeah i mean we um we made the uh we, we decided probably about a year and a half two years ago to start adding because uh, sometimes there'd be an ability which would be thematic, but we also thought, oh, wouldn't it be great if we could also have this side ability? So, um, so I think Christmas truce was the first one. But mm. we we keep getting people asking, why why do I get a buff when I play supermassive black hole with Cydonia? And of course, anyone who is a fan of of Muse, the band, will know that the supermassive black hole and knights of cydonia were you know were both <laughs> on their black holes and revelations album anyone who doesn't know muse is thinking what the hell have you done that for but you know there we go yeah <laughs> so, i love that for, like, for people who are muse fans it's a lovely surprise you know uh-huh. yeah brilliant um so just a couple more things what, what are your future plans for the game then <laughs> So uh, yeah, so I've I've got a, a terrible track record of, of going off script when I do um, sort of any any interviews, which <laughs> causes headaches for everyone, including me. So I'm not I'm, I won't be be drawn too much. I mean, mm-hmm. I, we we really want to put a lot of focus on deck building in the um, in for the next kind of uh, sort of six to nine months. Um, we've got a whole uh, a whole sort of planned release. So four four phases of deck building. The first one is going to go live. Uh, imminently as in like within the next week or so um and the reason for that is because really if, if you if you're going to enjoy q you have to enjoy deck building there's you know it, it is so key to, you know thinking about well which cards am i going to try and put together 
Um, and at the moment, deck building doesn't, it, it can be a little bit alienating for, for new players. It's a little, you know, you just see a thin sliver of the yeah. card. You don't know what the cards are. So we've changed our approach to that. And where we want to take that is that people can share decks and you can, you can use a, uh, people can just send a code and you can just enter that code and, and the deck will be there. Even if you don't have all the cards they're you know, they're just grayed out. Mm -hmm. So you can make incomplete decks, which you can't do at the moment. And, um, and then we want to work our way towards a kind of a deck wizard so that if you, you know, if you choose any card from your collection to start a deck, it will say, have you considered, you know, these cards, which will buff this card or other cards that this card will, will play well with. Um, and it will kind of give you a different sort of set of suggestions for every card that you can, you know, um, it will basically generate filters automatically for you so that building a deck that hangs together takes a bit less exploration and effort than it does at the moment yeah brilliant so that's probably our biggest thing for this year is deck building and then in the longer term well we want to make these cards uh usable um a bit like pokemon actually so you think about pokemon you kind of you you have uh, pokemon go and you have pokemon trading card game and you have um pokemon you know the, the switch versions of kind of the rpg and we want these cards to actually be usable in lots of different games. So we actually yeah. wanted to be able to say, I, I've, I've collected these cards and now I can use that same collection. So this is this bit is different to Pokemon. Using the same collection, playing it in, in different uh, kind of game scenarios. And we've got some pretty cool ideas for yeah. that. But they're uh, further down the line. Sounds very exciting. Cool. Something to look forward to, yeah. Anton? Mm -hmm. Excited. Brilliant. Okay. Um, is there anything else you want to say or or plug or promote? <laughs> no, I've just really enjoyed being being asked along. And to be honest, that you know, kind of uh, as I think I've, I've sort of hinted, just uh, having a the, the, the sort of the father son thing was kind of how I wanted this game to work in my mind. Now, of course, my son, <laughs> uh, because it's a game I'm working on, rejects it out of oh, hand no. as being <gasps> uninteresting. Um, but you know, <laughs> but I, I sort of I love to sort of to see that, and we do get a lot of families play. Um, there was, uh, uh, you may be aware that we have kind of, uh, rules against multi-accounting and there was mm. one, one family once where they were kind of like, you know, there were quite a few accounts and it was like, are you <laughs> sure you're not multi-accounting? A guy wrote in and, and sent, sent a photo of him with his whole family and they were all playing the game. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's absolutely Amazing. fine. <laughs> so, so it's really lovely to see that we, you know, that's what we want the kind of game to be is, is something that brings people together to have fun. Yeah. Doesn't get um, better than that. It's done, hasn't it, Anton? Except for when he beat me. Mm, he still hasn't recovered. <laughs> My trades aren't so generous now. Excellent. Yeah. 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 You've learned your lesson, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Well, thanks so much for chatting Brilliant. to us. Um, yeah. Really interesting to get an insight into mobile gaming and uh, your inspirations for cue cards, which I love. It's brilliant. And Anton does too. So thank you. Brilliant. Thank you, Rick. Thank you, Anton. Really enjoyed being on your podcast. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay, that was a good interview. Yeah, uh, something a little bit different and interesting to understand how um, kind of you go about creating a mobile game and the importance of the community is 
I think a lot of people take it for granted that these games are free and they forget there's a whole team of people behind a game so it's important to have the ads or um, like some of the things that you can buy within the app itself. Mm-hmm. But it's, st- it's still a very good game, one of our, our favourite games. Um, yeah, you should install it. Yeah, so you can go to cardstheuniverseandeverything.com and find out information there or look on the Apple Store or the uh, Google Play Store and search for cue cards or cards of the universe and everything. And it should come up. And once you've done that and you've loaded into the game, finished the tutorial, there will be a referral code that you can enter. Uh, yes, Anton really wants you to use his referral code, so we will have that in our show notes and on the website and on Twitter and everywhere so that you can send him loads of awesome coins or gems or whatever you get for him being your referral. So please do that. Mm-hmm. Shall we read ours out here? Okay, mine is W8K-40L-XVK. And shall we share our usernames? Okay, I am Rick Lepe, R-I-C-L-E-P. Um, and I am Sir Anton Lepe, S-I-R-A-N-T-O-N-L-E-P. Yeah, so look out for us, and maybe you'll be playing cue cards against us soon. Now, should we share a few of our favourite cards? Actually, that's a good thing that I'm not sure we mentioned in the interview, is there's facts on the back of all the cards um, in the game, and tell Mm -hmm. you some stuff about it. I've got the Guernsey Double. Now, this card, actually, um, we like it because it's from Guernsey. It's also in Anton's first ever pack, as he said in the interview, and it gains eight permanently when you play it. And... When you realise that Guernsey is actually much closer to France than the UK, it becomes less surprising to discover that the island's population only adopted sterling currency in 1921. However, what is surprising is that they weren't using up-to-date French currency either. Until 1834, Guernsey used the French livre, a currency that France itself had abandoned in 1795, rather than adopting the franc like the French or moving to pounds like the British. Guernsey made up its own currency, the Guernsey Double. Doubles were a series of copper coins that were worth one eightieth of a French franc. Interesting. Now, I'm going to read the back of my card. So I just picked some random ones and I got fencing. So, it is one of the only four sports to have been featured in every modern Olympics. Hmm. The sport made its debut in the 1896 Games in Athens. In fact, Baron Pierre de Coubertin... Um, the father of the modern Olympic Games, was a fencer. Apparently, the Greek King George I was such an avid fan of fencing that he declared any match um, that had taken place before his arrival was null and void and had to be replayed in front of him. Mm-hmm. Although sword fighting as, an, um, as a sport has existed since ancient Egypt, fencing itself is believed to have originated in Spain with some of the earliest books on the sport written in 1458. They just fence with bulls there now. Mm. I've got the Great Emu War. And this is this is an amazing uh, story from history. So between World War I and World War II, a battle to reclaim land from an insurrection of rebellious birds took place in Australia, known as the Great Emu War. This wildlife management operation was launched to tackle the rise of emus running amok in the Campion District. 
1932, the military was sent with machine guns to make short work of the birds, but they underestimated the emu's resilience. According to Major G.P.W. Meredith, who led the human troops, the emus faced machine guns with the invulnerability of tanks. By the end of the month, some 2,500 rounds had been fired, but only a couple of hundred emus had been killed. No human casualties were recorded. But the disappointing result saw the project curtailed. Long live emus. Yeah, so the Australian military lost a war to emus. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I've picked a paleontology one quite difficult to say the thylacoleo um and also known as the marsupial lion the thylacoleo is an extinct genus of carnivorous marsupial that roamed the australian forests millions of years ago although the creature has no relation to the modern lion it did possess greater similarities to big cats than to marsupials However, unlike big cats, um, Thylacoleo <laughs> had a partially opposable thumb digit that could be used to grip prey animals, climb trees, and turn the pages of its favourite book. But the Thylacoleo had no time for reading. It was too busy ripping apart prey and feeding on their flesh. Eventually, this predator went extinct, not solely because of the climate change, but because humans hunting its prey and changing its ecosystem with fire. So that was the marsupial lion, which was less successful against humans with spears and things than um, the emu against humans with machine guns. Mm. We've gone backwards. We've invented backwards. We have. I've got one more here. This is my last one. This is Nicholas Flamel. You may know him as the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone, and he would be right. Harry Potter lore aside, there really was an alchemist called Nicholas Flamel who lived in 14th century Paris. One night, Flamel dreamed an angel brought him a book that contained a hidden secret. Later, that same book was presented to him in real life by an old traveller. Being encoded, it took 21 years for Flamel to decipher the secret, the recipe to make the elixir of life. Did it work? Given that Flamel died in 1418, apparently not. Still, it did make him extraordinarily wealthy, and he used that money to help the poor and support the church. Perhaps the real philosopher's stone is the friends he made along the way. I like that card because it goes with my uh, mythic god particle. <laughs> yep. Okay, now I have got the marbled cat, which looks very cute. Um, and... It may be similar in size to the domestic cat, but the marbled cat has one thing they haven't got. A great bushy tail. These long tails sometimes even exceed uh, the length of the head and body, helping the marbled cat to balance um, on tree branches where they spend much of their time. Although it weighs just three kilograms, the large teeth and flexible paws make the marbled cat a terrifying predator for small creatures like birds, squirrels, rats, and even lizards and frogs who share its arboreal habitat. Um, found from sea level up to elevations reaching 3,000 metres, this species of wild cats distribution lies across northern India, Nepal, and through Myanmar, Laos, Thailand, Vietnam, and Cambodia. So that was the marbled cat. Um, that was us interviewing Paul Mays on about cue cards. And this is us saying goodbye. Goodbye. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at QHRPod, on Instagram at 
curate hard pod. You can find us on Facebook. Search the Curious of a Child. Yeah, uh, YouTube, and you've got your own YouTube channel, haven't you, Anton? Mm-hmm. The Curiosity of Gaming and Curiosity of a Child for our podcast YouTube channel. That's right, and check out our website at thecuriousofachild.com, and you can email us, so we'd love to hear from you, at hello at thecuriousofachild.com, and we'd also love a review if you enjoyed the show. So just go to Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, and please, please, please leave a massive five-star review. Mm-hmm. We would also like a patreon as well so if anyone could subscribe to our patreon please and then we will start doing some stuff (laughs) you'll get some special rewards uh like some bonus content a couple of shorter episodes stuff that we couldn't fit into the main episodes yeah there's stuff already up there just bonus features and uh, more facts and history and science and videos and photos and all sorts of cool things so uh, thank you very much and we will see you again soon Bye. Bye. Can you stop playing? So I'm now recording.